Hello and welcome back to the Abbey Online podcast. This week I was lucky enough to speak to Jake Posner, the owner and creator of the clothing brand No One True Anything. Jake has been creating clothing that is formulated by dyslexia and championing sustainability. He is an ambassador for the British Dyslexia Association and has been vocal about challenging the education system in the UK to help those with neurodivergence and dyslexia have equal alternative educational options and opportunities to thrive. Over the past few years, I noticed that a number of people living in the UK have been seeking assessments for neurodiverse disabilities. The topic was now up for discussion online and on the rise on TikTok. According to the Brain Charity, dyslexia influences at least one in 10 people and is a genetic difference in an individual's ability to learn and process information. Over 6 million individuals in the UK have dyslexia and may not have received a diagnosis. Stay tuned to find out more. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy it. And please don't forget to give my podcast a rating and a follow. So let's start at the beginning. What was school like for you, Jake? Um, I love school. I love like the social element of it. I had a lot of fun. Um, but the actual academic side of things, I I hated. Um, I really I really struggled with it. And school for me, I, I feel like there hasn't been any change or any improvement over the last since I left school. When did I leave school? I left school at sixteen. I'm now twenty nine. So I don't know when that was. Don't know how many years ago. But um, I think that's 13, 14 years ago I left school and I don't think anything's changed. Rishi Sunak's now asking people to do maths until they're 18. If that was me, I I wouldn't know what to do. By the time I was 16, I was out in the real world working. um, And the teachers would always say to me, you're stupid, you're thick, you're lazy. Um, My maths teacher told my mum that I was the worst student that he'd ever had at maths. Um, so like, it was always like on a on a path of being put down, um, but that's just that's just how school is. I think I think that we need to we need to change how how the education system works. Um, I call it education stagnation, like just not going anywhere. Did that knock your confidence um, having teachers say that to you? Yes and no. It drove me forward to be like, you know what? I, I don't I don't even need to to know any of this stuff like what, what what am I going to need to know anything about Shakespeare for what am I going to need to know anything about algebra for when is that ever going to come up in, in my in my day-to-day life when, I, when, when I'm older and it never has so in 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 some respects when you're told that as a kid like that you're thick or whatever of course it's going to affect you but at the same time if you can understand that you're never going to need what they're teaching you at school anyway then you're like try and try and let it go by you How did you handle struggling with words? And I know you said you had dyscalculia as well, which is similar to dyslexia, but involves numbers. Can you expand on that a bit more? Yeah, so I I just genuinely really struggle with numbers. Um, Like just now I try to work out how how long I've left school for. I I genuinely, like my head doesn't process numbers. Um, It's like, it's, it's literally like the same with my with my words when I'm reading and writing as it is in my numbers um I'll, I'll use my fingers to count and like just I don't know my times tables and like stuff like times tables are always forced on you at school as well when you're growing up 
Like, obviously, I know the basics, like, you know, 5 times 5, 25, but, like, you ask me, like, 12 times 7, I've got no idea. Like, my brain can't physically function that way. But why aren't we allowing kids to, to express themselves in other ways? And why aren't we allowing people to build stuff from the beginning of school? I think that that would be a, a much better approach um, to have people who can, you know, start a business at school, whether that be buying... So I had, like, a, like a concept whereby... The, the, the school give kids seeds to plant. The kids plant the seeds. They grow the product. They sell the product to the parents picking up the kids at school at, at pick-up time. So the kids are learning how to how to look after something. The kids are learning how to use nature. And then the kids are then selling the product to, to, to the parents at pick-up time. And that money gets reinvested back into the school to buy computers or whatever else. And you keep evolving that system... And kids are learning how to run a business. Kids are learning how to how to grow their own vegetables. And I think that is such a better way of doing things than sitting in a classroom reading a book. So what you would advocate for was kind of a different system because obviously one size does not fit all and everyone learns very differently. For instance, I would say I'm more of an interactive learner. If you show me how to do something on the computer, I can pick it up straight away. Whereas if I'm like revising or reading it off a page how to do something I can't do it so I can understand in that respect would you say obviously you are an ambassador a British dyslexia ambassador would you is is that something you're pushing for to kind of for the government and education ministers to try and implement 100% um I really think that there there needs to be a change because how can you have how can you have someone like myself sitting in an exam hall um, in complete silence like what you just said when you're reading out of a book trying to revise it, it doesn't it doesn't stick but why is what like what why is that fair in any way I just don't, I just don't understand um, you can't tarnish everyone with the same brush and you can't expect everyone to, to be the same um, there's certain people who who are never going to be go, go to school and end up being a doctor or a lawyer, but at the end of the day, lawyers aren't going to have a job without the people who are creating something. So, for example, if someone's in branding law and there aren't any brands because the creative people aren't, aren't, aren't allowed to flourish and aren't allowed to, to learn things that are going to benefit the creative industry, then a branding lawyer is not going to have any work anyway. So I think that there's something that has to give and there's something that has to change. When did you get an assessment for dyslexia and why do you think it has there's been like a shift now and more people are able to like seek diagnosis for instance I know it's a bit different but people with ADHD that are neurodivergent there's been a spike in people kind of being able to get those diagnoses to the point where the NHS has kind of backed up in that process do you think it's social media or do you think people are more willing to listen now um, I think that it's that there's more awareness in general over so many or surrounding so many different things, whether that be like me- mental health, whether that be the deaf community. Um, and I feel like dyslexia has always been something that, uh, and neurodiversity in general has always been something that's been overlooked. Um, it's always just been like, oh, okay, yeah, you're dyslexic, kind of get on with it. Um, or, you're, or you're just told that you can't read properly or write properly when really there's actually an underlying like condition I guess um, with how you process and look, how you process and look at things so I think that that's 
that's something that is allowing people to become more confident in in themselves and actually say about what they have in terms of like a, a learning disability, I guess you'd call it. When did you get your assessment? When I was about eight, I think. Eight or nine. And in what ways did you, because I know children can kind of find it hard to express themselves and to say, I'm struggling with this. Were you naughty at school? Were you withdrawn? What was your behaviour like when you found it challenging in situations in the classroom where you couldn't do and complete certain tasks? I was, I was a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. Um, like hand, handcuffing people to chairs. Um, they then had to leave the classroom to go and get the handcuff cut off their arm in the DT lab. Um, just all sorts, climbing, climbing, onto, climbing out of windows and onto roofs, smoke cigarettes. Um, just, be, just because I was, not because I wanted to be naughty, but I just didn't want, I just wanted to kind of be, be free and do, do my own thing. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I didn't want to, I never wanted to disrespect people. I never wanted to disrespect the teachers. Um, but when someone's pushing something on you and they're expecting you to sit there in silence and, and listen and, and crack on with something that you can't physically do, it's very difficult. It's very, very hard. Why do you think dyscalculia, I hope I'm saying that right, it's a bit of a mouthful, is less commonly diagnosed? Because I feel like dyslexia and that can kind of be intertwined. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they say that you normally have, if you've got one, like, if you've got one variation of, like, a neurodiverse, neurodiversity, you've normally got at least another one. Um, so there is always, like, say, if you've got dyslexia, you might have dyscalculia, you might have ADHD um, as well. Um, and I just think that there hasn't been as much awareness around dyscalculia. Um, like, I've never really, I've never really seen anything until, I'll be honest with you, like, this this year, really, the, the British Dyslexia Association are also working on dyscalculia as well. Um, and I just think that it's now becoming so much more mainstream i know that you went to i think it was a private school i'm not going to say which one because i know some of your friends <laughs> that went there but what support was offered to you by teaching staff through the education through the education system as a student was there a lack of was there some offered to you or was it different to a state school what was your I'll, experience I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you there wasn't the only the only dif the only difference was was that maybe we had smaller classes. That is the only difference. When when I was when in my position from my experience at my school, which yeah, like you say, was was private. I I didn't have anything extra personally. I didn't feel like that. Four sets in my year, like English, maths, and science. Of course, I was in the bottom set for everything. Um, and it just kind of felt like, right, you're in the bottom set, we're just going to treat you like an idiot, um, and not really, and not really give you any, not really give you much support. Um, the only, the only benefit that I personally found of, of going to a private school was that we were, was that we had a lot of, a lot of facilities. So for like the extra, extra curriculum things, like the sports, the sports was amazing. 
um, like the football, the, the, the hockey, the, the sports hall, the gym, everything. That, that side of things is amazing and that side of things are wonderful. But in terms of the actual traditional education, I, I, I can't say that it was marvellous or any extra support or anything like that. Over the next few years, what changes would you like to be to be made in the education system? What can they do differently to help those who are in your position at school? What would you be advocating for if you were... I know you have been to Parliament, but what were you advocating for? What are you pushing for next five years, long-term plan? Um, I think a good... I mean, a good place to start would just be openness and understanding um, and not so much trying to separate people by academic ability obviously I understand that there's always going to be a need to do that but when that when that does happen you're instantly you're instantly segregated and I feel like people being together and different strengths coming together to create different things is always going to be really important um, and I think that we need to also find ways in which people can excel in different things so why why aren't kids being taught how a mortgage works like why are you left to leave school and not have a clue about a mortgage um like that's a fundamental thing of life so like why aren't we introducing actual real life skills to schools um going back to going back to, to building businesses at school and, and 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 kind of selling selling stuff to the parents to pick up time or or going out into into the actual into local high streets and the schools having a having a pitch outside a local market and bringing this stuff through. Like, I think that, that is fundamental because then you can learn you, you can put together an Excel spreadsheet like a profit and loss system. You can understand how long it took you to how long it took you to, to, to put something together, whether that be in textiles in the DT lab or you know you, you design you, you make a T-shirt. Um, and then you take it out into the real world, and you and you and you and you sell it to, to on the local high street, and all the, all the profits go to the school. And kids have to be in charge of selling it. Kids have to be in charge of, of knowing their profit margins. Kids have to be in charge of their stock. And honestly, to me, that makes so much more sense. How can employers better help their staff? And do you feel there is discrimination when it comes to hiring people with dyslexia? Um. In some industries, possibly, um, maybe in maybe in an industry that, that that you're in, it might be harder for someone with dyslexia to enter that to enter that um, that field of work. But I think with modern day technology, that can be that can be changed. Um, you know, because I feel like dyslexic people do have. I mean, I I, I love telling stories. Um, I love. I love creating stories out of stuff and creating different narratives and looking at things from a different way. But then it comes to me putting pen to paper or, or, or typing something out and it just doesn't quite read right, it doesn't fit right. Um, but with modern day technology or extra support from, from, from I don't know, from an editor, um, you know, making sure that it's it's cross-checked and, and or we can look at it the other way and we can have something whereby you have a specific column written by dyslexic people and you can see a different take on, on how a dyslexic person writes to how a, a non-dyslexic person writes in the mainstream media 
that could be something that's quite interesting. I, um, I would like to see in, I know some websites have it, but where, because I think news should be accessible to everyone. And I think that includes articles and the written word, but I would like to see more journalists having access to a microphone so they can actually read out their articles and there should be a button. I've seen it sometimes where you can click and listen and that person can still, you know, read along or digest the news as well. I know video news and stuff like that, but I think there needs to be that on more more articles. Yeah, there's articles where you can kind of press play, aren't you? Yeah. And it, and it reads it aloud. Um, yeah, I, I think that's helpful, um, for sure. You know, anything that we can that we can do in terms of that. But I feel like that, that should be standard anyway. The more that we kind of, like what you said, like go into podcasts and, and that kind of thing, I think that there should always be that option from, from publications, just be able to press play and, and, and have an audio version of it. I think that that only makes sense. I noticed that people who were neurodivergent seem to be more creative. I know from the time when I used to party a lot growing up that you were a local DJ. Have you always been drawn to more creative careers and outlets? Yeah, 100%. Um, so when I first left school at 16, I was an estate agent for a year and a half. I had to do an apprenticeship. I mean, I didn't have to, but I did because I didn't have anything else to, to kind of my name. I had, I had a PEGCSE and that was it. Um, and just that experience in itself, sitting at a desk and doing the mundane stuff, I hated every single second of it. Um, and for me, I just want to kind of express different different creative elements and different paths and different like storytelling um, and, and design and, and putting things together and working out how, how different things come together, whether that be like colours or whether that be different different patterns on stuff or, or how music comes together like music music's still a big thing for me um, and creativity is something that I would always want to be and I couldn't just sit in an office and, and do anything like that what gave you the idea to start your brand no one true anything and what does it mean to you what's what does the name mean when did you first get this idea to to create something um, I'd always been into clothes um, all my money would, would, would go on clothing. Um, like from the eight, from my, my first paycheck, I went straight. I went straight to self just my first paycheck, um, and just, just spent it on clothes. I'd always wanted to do it, but I never kind of had the story to tell, and I didn't. I didn't have a narrative or anything like that. And then in 2019, I wanted to, to do something. So I picked up the phone to, to, port, to, to, to Portugal. I found an agent online in, in the textile world. Um, and I went out to meet her and she took me to the manufacturers. And I couldn't afford to do it at the time. And I still didn't quite have the concept. Um, didn't have, you know, how we were going to kind of bring this to market. And then in March 21, I had a, I, I believe it or not, I had a literal dream where I started a brand. Um, I, I woke up, I wrote the brand name on my phone, no one true anything, and I was like, right, this is going to be formulated all around dyslexia. It's going to be formulated around perceptions. So it, with regards to what we see, read, hear, and consume in the mainstream media, like find your own perspectives on things, um, and then also going to be fixated on sustainability. So... I kind of got together on working on a logo for my mum and dad's kitchen table. 
Um, and got back on the phone on the Monday morning to, to, to the agent that I met in Portugal and said, look, like I'm ready to go. Is there any space for me to come and make some make some products with with you and your manufacturer manufacturing partners? And um, I kind of got lucky there. Like we've been a bit quiet over COVID. Businesses business is not as usual. We aren't getting the high demand of orders from from big brands like we like we normally do. So now is your chance. So I kind of just went for it. What made you then start wanting to raise more awareness? Was that just the big push, like, this is my concept, I'm just going to go all out, and obviously now you are an ambassador? Yeah, I think that, I think that for, for people to be able to, like, I'm not, like, for me, as someone who is dyslexic, I look up to someone like Richard Branson, who has a very, who has a very, I'd say, I'd say a similar story to, to, to myself. You know, he created a, I'm obviously nowhere near Richard Pranz by any stretch of the imagination, but like whereby he set up, he, he was working from a, from a very young age, he struggled at school, and I can look up to someone like Richard Pranz and I can aspire to try and create that. He can do it, why can't I do it? And I'd never... I've never seen anything in, in the fashion space of someone of, of a dyslexic fashion designer or a fashion brand um, taking things into the mainstream. So I was like, well, if I can do it and I can inspire the next talented, the next talented up-and-coming designer who's dyslexic, then why, why not go for it? Why not try and raise more awareness? And, and this goes back to another thing that, that kind of really, I'll be honest with you, pisses me off. To be able to enter one of the one of like the, the, the arts colleges in London, you have to you have to you have to have your A levels. Now, aren't we missing out a load of talented people who can't go down that route? You know, the only way to get funding most of the time through something like the British Fashion Council is by coming out of the University of the Arts of London. I did go there. Right? <laughs> I know I know what you I, uh, so, so there you go. Like you, you went there. So you fully understand that the people who aren't going there aren't getting the same opportunities within within the fashion space because they're being completely left out. And that's some, as much as I as much as I like the British Fashion Council. I've sat around the table with them. I've had dinner with them before. Um, it's it's not fair. It's it's really limiting people. Um, and I guess kind of kind of discriminating as well. I do think there needs to be other ways to enter higher education facilities and institutions like, say, University of the Arts London um, or, you know, they're, they're, I think there's like two in London. So, yeah, but I completely, yeah. I, I get what you mean. I completely understand that. Instead of just everything has to be by the book and you have to have these certain grades or you have to achieve a, an A in English or do you see what I mean? An A, a in maths where yep. other people have strengths in other areas that are more artistic that shouldn't be defined on those types of skills, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes, makes perfect sense. It makes, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, and for like the new gen like the new gen fashion side of things as well. Um, the only people that have access to that are the graduates of the fashion schools. Um, 
So, why, why is that fair? What can people expect from you next? And where can people find you online? Links to your shop, your brand, what are your opening times? Where can people actually come in and hold a physical piece of, of your clothing and what you've created? Um, so we've just opened our concept store on Windmill Street in Soho. Um, and we are open from, what, 10 till 8, six days a week, so Monday, Saturday, and then Sunday, 12 till 5. Um, and you can come in, you can explore the brand, you can explore our narratives, because we're so much more than, like, we've been discussing, there's quite a lot to it. Um, we're so much more than just a fashion brand. Um, and then you can also find us online on our website, nowhatreed.com, you can see on, on social media as well. Thank you very much for your time, Jay. Thank you, Evan. Thank you for listening to the Ebby Online podcast. Please join me next week, Monday, for a new guest and a new exciting topic. If you enjoy the journalism that I create and the content that I pump out, please support me by rating my podcast on Spotify and iTunes. <laughs>